Hello and welcome to CityWire's podcast, Let's Talk About ESG. I'm Margarita Kirakosian, Editor Global Financial Institutions, and today I would like to focus on corporate governance, which is key to how successful companies operate and is also the heart of the governance piece of ESG investing. The UK Corporate Governance Code is an important part of the UK company law and currently applies to companies with a premium listing on the London Stock Exchange. The idea of the current consultation that is ongoing is to make the reporting more relevant and to reinforce the focus on environmental and social factors within it. Joining me today is Mark Babington, Executive Director of Regulatory Standards at Financial Reporting Council, who will be able to explain the details of what is yet to come. Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Very pleased to be able to join. Mm-hmm. Mark, so a lot is happening now with UK Corporate Governance Code because the consultation is ongoing. Well, let's imagine that I'm a UK company, a premium listed company in London Stock Exchange. What do I need to know about the changes that you are planning to introduce and why do they matter to someone like me? Okay, so so this is the first revision of the code since 2018. So the the current version has uh, endured for quite a long time. But we have a number of things that we're asking for views on in this consultation. The biggest of those is that the government asked the FRC to consult on a UK internal controls regime under the code. So that would be introduced on a comply or explain basis, but would create an obligation for companies to report on the effectiveness of their internal control environment and to really to set out how the board has satisfied itself that those internal controls are working well and protecting the interests of investors and and stakeholders. So that's probably the biggest element. But also since we last revised the code, we're seeing a significantly greater focus on new types of reporting, including ESG. And one of the things that the consultation specifically considers is the wider responsibility of the board for satisfying itself over ESG reporting that the company undertakes. There's also been significant progress in the area of diversity. We have more diverse boards now, and this is also an opportunity to make sure that the code aligns with that and reflects best practice. And Mm -hmm. and I think beyond that, Um, We're also aware that although the Corporate Governance Code is effective and works well, there are areas where reporting could be improved. And one of the things that we've tried to do is provide some additional help for reporters to improve the quality of their reporting. Now, there are some other things that government asked us to do as well, but those are really the sort of most important areas. And I think one of the really important things to remind people of is Of course, the code is a comply or explain code. Mm -hmm. And what we've done is we've set out some text in the consultation to remind people of that and also to encourage them to use the flexibility that the code offers to drive good governance. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mark. Good introduction. So I was wondering if we could dive a bit deeper to how the corporate governance code used to operate and what you're proposing now in terms of, well, if we be practical about it, let's say. So what the company used to do, and maybe there is a wider scope of companies that actually the new proposal is applying to, and how different 
it is to what they will be asked to do now. So this is this is um, an iteration of the code. It's not it's not revolution. It's actually mm-hmm. extending the code to deal with some new issues that we've been asked to address. The interesting question that you raise is is one of scope. Firstly, so the existing code um, applies to premium listed companies, um, and to use the code is set out in in the FCA's listing rules. Of course, you'll be aware of the fact that the FCA is consulting on possible changes to the listing rules that would move from a two-segment market with a standard listing and a premium listing to a single-segment um, market. So that would bring more companies within the scope of our corporate governance code. In terms of what companies will be reporting on, well, largely they'll report, be reporting on many of the same things that they currently do. But as I've said, they will also be required to report on the effectiveness of their internal control reporting. Now, they do that um, as part of the existing code, but the the revised code goes further. And we think about the internal controls, not just over the year-end financial reporting, but also over other material areas of information that the company reports on. And one of the things that that we've asked a question in our consultation is when we ask boards to report, should they report just on the basis of a particular point in time at the year end? Or should they test effectiveness and report throughout the period up to the point at which the annual report is approved? Mm hmm. In terms of the scope of the companies that that will apply to now, so it's a bigger amount. Uh, so do we have the number against it? And does that potentially include, for example, asset managers or wealth managers? So um, I don't have numbers to hand, but effectively, if the if the FCA does what its consultation proposes and goes to a single tier, it will bring those companies that currently have a standard listing Um, within the scope of the code. Um, It applies to listed companies in the UK. So if there are listed um, asset managers or wealth managers who who are listed on the stock exchange and at the moment either have a premium listing or would be caught within the single segment, then they would use the corporate governance code. I think it's also worth saying that although that's where it's required, we are aware of many organisations and many entities that aren't required to use the code, but do so voluntarily. So, you know, there, there is a, a, a wider um, use beyond those where it is required. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned internal reporting, folk, you several times. So when we are talking about internal reporting, what are we talking about? So so we're, we're asking companies to think about which controls are most important, most material to them. One of the things that that people have said, which is not helpful, is everyone says, um, in the US, you have Sarbanes-Oxley reporting. What you're doing is creating SOX light. We're not creating a SOX light. We're creating a very different regime. In a SOX regime, you're reporting on potentially 120 to 180 um, individual controls. You can't just aggregate them down into 10 or 15. It doesn't work like that. So we're asking companies to make an assessment of what the significant controls are that are most material in their context and report on the effectiveness of those. Traditionally, those have been controls that that are focused around the um, reporting of the financial position at the year end. 
But it could be that a company's board decides that other reporting or other information is of equal importance, and therefore its reporting should also cover those areas. Mm-hmm. And where does the ESG conversation come into equation? Is that something that wasn't covered by the corporate governance code at all before and now being introduced? Or this is something that was already touched upon, but maybe not in great detail, for example? Well, in, in 2018, when the current version of the code um, was came into force, um, ESG reporting was at a much earlier stage. And of course, since then, we've seen the requirement in the UK for large listed companies to report um, under TCFD. And we've seen government um, expand that through through legislation as well. So it's not just um, uh, applicable to listed companies. We've seen um, this year the release of ISSB standards to support uh, broader reporting. And indeed, we're going through a process working with colleagues in government to decide how those standards can be adopted for use in the UK. And of course, you know, there, there's, um, there's, there's a lot greater focus now on reporting on things like workforce, um, the uh, Parker Review and the Hampton Alexander Review um, recommended that companies develop voluntary metrics to help them report on their diversity. So, so it is the fact that you've got a broader scope of information coming uh, within the code that, that we didn't have last time it was updated in 2018. Mm-hmm. So as of yet, um, we don't have detailed framework or reporting on diversity of boards, let's say, or ESG aspects of corporate governance. Is that correct? Well, there are um, a number of existing requirements that sit in UK company law um, or regulation. Um, But what I'm saying is that what we expect is that we'll see the further development of this reporting and, and really it being consolidated together So there is um, an overall report, not lots of individual requirements. So one of the challenges for companies and one of the challenges for us as a regulator is how does this information all get brought together in a meaningful way so that it's decision useful? You can't just say to stakeholders, we're giving you ever more information. It's got to be usable and it's got to support decision making. And of course, you'll be aware of the fact that a lot of investors are now making capital allocation decisions on the basis of ESG information, um, whereas traditionally um, financial performance would have been the major consideration that uh, investors were making. Mm-hmm. And how does what you are trying to do compare to other international standards? I know you've mentioned ISSB, for example, but there are also multiple others. And I guess for investors and for companies at large, the biggest challenge is to align all of these various requirements. Well, it it is. And the Corporate Governance Code is particularly important in supporting that because, you know, if you have a company that is well governed and it can explain that governance model and how it operates to its stakeholders. It provides a degree of assurance that a well governed company will report information effectively and transparently. And that information then lends itself to high quality assurance. So it is about a process of underpinning public confidence. Of course, one of the challenges is that capital is, is global. Um, And therefore, we have many companies, including in the UK, that have 
um, dual listings. So they have a listing in the UK and a listing in other jurisdictions. So one of the challenges that we work with other standard setters and regulators is how can we ensure that a company is able to report once and meet its obligations in multiple jurisdictions? And there's a lot of work that's going on around the ISSB um, in order to do that, because, of course, you've got ISSB standards in Europe, you've got ESRS standards. Um, We expect to see later in the year proposals from the SEC for US reporting. So we've got to make sure that these align and come together. Mm-hmm. And how does that come in into the consultation on the corporate governance code? Are there any elements that spell out we need to make it more synchronized, basically, or any changes that make it more synchronized for that matter? Well, that's not about the corporate governance code. That's about the reporting frameworks mm-hmm. that companies um, that companies are obliged to use. But the corporate governance code is important because it really helps support the governance that oversees the use of an application of those reporting frameworks. So it's not part of the of the code itself, although we do recognize the expansion in ESG type reporting in the code um, and ensure that the, the board is is well prepared to exercise its oversight and drive high quality reporting. Mm-hmm. And You've mentioned uh, the regulator, FCA, and you mentioned the government. So how are you working with both the government and uh, the FCA on these new standards or updating the corporate governance code for UK companies? So we we spend a lot of time coordinating with colleagues in government and and, and the FCA. We recognise that we have responsibilities that align and in some areas uh, overlap. And one of the things that we do is work very closely with them to make sure that what we're proposing is something that is going to meet the needs of those stakeholders. So we have regular calls with the FCA, regular meetings with the Department for Business and Trade to ensure that all of these proposals are aligned and and develop. Like, for instance, um, our teams here are working very closely with the Department for Business and Trade on the call for evidence that they've issued on non-financial reporting in the UK to make sure that that reporting um, develops in a way that meets user needs um, and continues to support effective reporting. So all of these things do come together, and we spend a lot of our time coordinating with other parts of the UK landscape, but also globally as well. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to FCA, for example, were there any specific elements that they were asking to see or be included, for example, into the consultation? Well, we've we've worked very closely with the FCA for a number of years. So we talk through our proposals with the FCA and, and we get feedback from them to make sure that it's going to meet their needs as well as ours. So all of the proposals are discussed between our teams before they go live and we'll continue to liaise with the FCA um, throughout the consultation period when we finalise the code and, and develop the guidance that sits underneath it. Mm-hmm. And it's a chunky uh, piece of reporting when we think about this. As companies, are they asking you already what they can do to start themselves on the process, even though it hasn't been formalized yet? But what are the biggest questions you are getting from companies about it at the moment? 
So uh, I, I think a lot of people are asking when the guidance will be available to support the revised code. And we've said we're going to hold roundtables and carry out outreach to to engage with stakeholders before we finalise the guidance. They also want to know what our expectations are over reporting on ESG, reporting on internal controls and other things. And one of the things that we have a lot of uh, a lot of exchange over is how we ensure that this reporting is going to be effective in meeting user needs. As I said, we need better reporting, not ever more reporting. And that's one of the challenges increasingly that all boards face. And in terms of investors, because I can imagine that one party that will be impacted by this is investors themselves, so companies that allocate capital, let's say. So what will change for them, if at all, once this is passed? Um, will that make their lives, well, hopefully easier? What will be the additional data point that they will be receiving, hopefully, in the reports from companies? Well, <laughs> that's that's going to change and, and, and develop. Um over the next few years. Um, so, you know, you're, you're going to see changes to the code reporting as a result of this consultation. You may also see changes to non-financial reporting as a result of the Department for Business and Trades review of non-financial reporting. You'll also potentially see changes to climate and sustainability reporting if the UK um, endorses um, ISSB standards, and they're used by companies. So one of the challenges is going to be how we keep ahead of this very significant volume of change. And we use it to provide, as, as, as we said, you know, better information, not more information. No one's needs are going to be met if we have annual reports that are 200 pages longer. We've got to be clear and discriminating. And one of the things that our lab is doing is a project looking at the application of materiality in reporting. Mm. Companies need to focus on those areas that are most important to it and are most important to its stakeholders and ensure that drives their reporting. So that's, if we kind of like give an arbitrary example, if you are, for instance, an IT company, then your CO2 emissions will be one thing and the impact on the society is something else. But if you are an oil company, let's say, then you are talking about emissions in a very different way compared to an IT company. And this is just an example, but I guess this is where you are driving at with it when you are talking about materiality. Is that right? Yes, that, that's right. And, and, and of course, in those examples that you, you give, the board's assessment of what is material is going to perhaps be very different in, in different types of companies. And, you know, it, it's important that the board can explain to its stakeholders why it considered certain areas to be of greater importance and more material and therefore more significant from a reporting perspective. Mm hmm. And what is the knock-on effect on company boards from the changes that you are trying to introduce? So, so one of the things may be that um, when the chair and the SID consider the membership of the board, they might want to bring in um, new non-executive directors with different experience. It could be sector experience. It could be particular experience of ESG, um, recognising that uh, – you know, there might be a changing reporting requirement. So the, the Corporate Governance Code supports the concept of a unitary board. 
And it's important that that board has the appropriate skills and experience to be able to govern the company. Some of the things that are now being reported on may um, demand different skills to the ones that boards currently have. And therefore, in considering their succession planning, they'll want to ensure that they can meet those needs. So it's interesting you mentioned succession planning. So it is about who is going to come in and take over and what kind of qualifications they have to have if they were to become a member of the board. Well, boards boards do that now. So mm-hmm. every board has to consider its succession planning. And that's one thing that we ask them to report on under the existing code. It's just that some of the things that the board's going to be asked to do are changing and developing and therefore it might create a need for additional skills or new or you know new areas of uh, information mm-hmm. mark and what are the biggest challenges that you could potentially see with the adoption of mm, updates to the uk corporate governance code for example well um if the fca consultation changes the listing rules we'll see a number of companies reporting under the code for the first time. So they will need guidance and they may need to think about how they meet the requirements over perhaps an extended period. Um, A lot of companies are going to be thinking carefully about how they report on the effectiveness of internal control. Um, And you've got to have something that allows investors to, to make comparisons between different companies that they might invest in. So it's it's really how how boards are adapting to develop um, and respond to new things, and of course we'll be working with them to make sure that we have appropriate guidance in place. Mm-hmm. Mark, our audience are asset managers and investors, be it wealth managers, private bankers. What would be the core messages that you would like to? kind of convey to these groups, basically, because a lot is being done. But if you were to distill it into the most important takeaways, what are those? Well, I, I think, I think you know, your audience include the key users of annual reports and accounts. So it's really important that they have a dialogue with the companies they invest in about the things that they consider to be really important, really material, and ensure that when companies report, they're providing information which meets those needs. And, you know, everything is done to support the user. And so, therefore, it's really important that the user sets out what is important in its context. Obviously, we're in the consultation phase now. So, firstly, when is the deadline? And secondly, what can companies or various actors put forward in this period? Well, the, the the consultation runs through until September. Um, we're doing a lot of outreach, roundtables, events, um, and indeed um, speaking to people like you who have an interest in, in, in the code and how it develops. Um, we'll continue with those events, and we're really interested to know what stakeholders think of our proposals. Um, Please consider responding to the consultation. It asks a number of questions. You don't have to answer all of them. If there's just one that you consider to be of particular importance, let us have your views on that. And if you want to join um, one of our events, please get in touch with us. We'll be very happy to try and accommodate you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.